Orale! Bienvenidos and welcome to a special edition of the Familia FFB podcast. I'm Jorge, uh, one of your co-hosts, but today I'm joined by a good friend, Jordan. Give me, give yourself an intro, brother. Uh, hello, everybody. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, I've been, my name is Jordan. I'm based in Los Angeles, California. My, uh, this is a football, fantasy football podcast, so I'll point out that I'm wearing my, my Rams uh, polo for you. Uh, and I've been playing fantasy football since 2009, which is a rough estimate there. But um, I played every year, you know, started in college, friends, competitive work leagues, you know, uh, always you know, money leagues, things like that. Last year I played in five fantasy football leagues, made uh, semis in four, finals in two, did not win any, unfortunately. But avid St. Louis Rams fan uh, from back in the Kurt Warner days. Also went to school at Clemson University, so you kind of put those two together. Um, and I really like have fell in love with the idea of following someone kind of from like their freshman year in college all the way through the system, and then wanted to see what happened. Like, where did they go, right? So, like, where did DeAndre Hopkins go, and like, where did the guys that we played at Bama, where did they end up playing? And so that really kind of fostered this uh, this interest in that transition period between college and that senior junior year, and going through the draft and and, and analyzing what happened there. And I'll also add that being a St. Louis Rams fan for the post-Kurt Warner years, uh, by week seven or eight, you were often trying to think about the next thing, uh, next season already. So there was a lot of time looking at what do we need as a team, who's going to be available, um, and what do we do with these top you know, two or three picks that we always had, seemed to have year after year. And so... Uh, all of that to say, just been like a really big fan of the NFL draft and, uh, and that really fueled the love for fantasy football over the years. And Jordan and I play in a really ultra competitive, uh, Dodger front. It started out as the Dodger front office, uh, fantasy football league. It's 14 teams, PPR. I mean, everybody is, is a shark in that league. So, uh, you win that league, you're doing okay. (laughs) You're doing okay. So, uh, so we've, and we've had, you know, also both of us being Ram fans, it's, uh, we've had plenty of conversations about it. And then the idea for this came up and it's like, Hey, it's in. And so, uh, Jordan, I'm also initiating you to La Familia. So you get my mom's albondigas recipe, treat it nicely and, uh, enjoy it. (laughs) It'll be huge in Spain. I love it. Oh, it's going to (laughs) be really good. Yeah. Paella and albondigas. Hey, you know what? Paella one day, albondigas the next. Perfect. You're living right. Love it. We're all about the family dinner, so I'm all for it. (laughs) So uh, before we get into today, so today is going to be a little bit different. We're going to do a little deep dive into rookies. And Mm, so, but before we get into that, uh, Jordan, I want to find out, you know, what are some of your favorite formats? What's your favorite formats to play on fantasy? Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's a really tough decision because I think there's I've done a lot of the you know the standard leagues, the PPR, obviously the bigger formats with 14 teams. I've done smaller 10 team things, um, but recently I, I I just started my first uh, dynasty. It's also it's, so it's a dynasty and a super flex league, so you, uh, you can have two QBs, making that even more important. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so I started that last year, and I got to say that. For, for me, for the, the draft Nick, for the NFL fan, for the college football fan, that is such a treat because you get into that offseason and it's just, just anything can happen. I completely revamped my roster this year. I let 
all my major veterans go basically and loaded up on picks so I can get the Trevor Lawrence pick next year as my QB. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's just, there's so many ways to play it. It's just a lot of fun. So I've been a really big fan of the dynasty Superflex thus far. And Superflex, it, it opens up such a different world because, you know, you're, you're always been, you're, you're always trained in single quarterback leagues, wait on quarterback, wait on quarterback, wait on quarterback. Maybe there's right. the unique talent like right. a Lamar Jackson or a Patrick Mahomes uh, that blow up like that, but really, but then all of a sudden it, it makes you change your brain all the way around. And it's, I, I love playing Superflex. It's, it's, it's such a breath of fresh air. I mean, I, 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 lo- I love the challenge and just, uh, you know, thinking different not having to think running back right off the bat. So right. Um, what right. are, just to add to that really quick, you know, I think it's really what I love about the super flex is in the NFL, the most important position is the quarterback, but somehow in fantasy football, it's not that it's not important. It's just that there are 12 of them or 14 of them that are rostered and that are going to play most weeks. And then the rest of them are just kind of, everyone forgets about it. Most people don't even roster two quarterbacks anymore. And that to me is like a little bit of a, a misalignment, right? I agree. I agree. I still like drafting a backup, especially in the larger leagues, because then all right. of a sudden, if you, if your guy goes down like a Ben Roethlisberger last year, or Drew Brees, then it's like, you need somebody, you, you yeah. need, you, you need somebody. You don't want to just be able to, Oh yeah, let me pick up, you know, Josh Allen off the, uh, off the waiver wire, which I actually was able to do last year in a, in a, right. in a single quarterback league. Um, right. what, uh, you know, speaking of that, since you, since you play the different formats, are there any unique strategies or special tips that you like to, uh, follow, you know? Oh man. So I, I, I can't give all the secrets away because <laughs> I don't know. I was watching we are going to draft against each other in a yeah, few weeks. I know. <laughs> but, uh, but the, I will say for this, I mean, in, in both dynasty, both football and baseball, I have, I, I really have tried to strike a balance between, um, and, and actually in the early years of a dynasty league, try and grab the young talent. And that really has set me up for success in, in a lot of, in, in both the baseball and the football world. Whereas I think it's, it's, if you're used to playing year to year, your inclination is to go out and grab the, the top five guy, like a Julio Jones, but Julio may only have another two years of that production left versus, you know, maybe going and getting a younger guy, uh, maybe like a Debo Samuel with the with the San Francisco 49ers or another another person who you know is going to have that longevity. So then looking to set up, you know, maybe two years down the road, three years down the road, now I have these guys for life. I have like a superstar, almost all pro team, because I managed to get the young talent early. Um, and that seemed to serve me really well in the Dynasty League. But, um, you know, everybody, I've seen all sorts of strategies work out. I've done the zero RBs. I've done the, I've done the RBs. I, I, when I first started playing fantasy, I was RB heavy. I also, you always used to go grab my two bell cows and every, everything's worked at one point or another. So it's part of the fun. I've never made zero RB work. And in fact, I've been I, in mock, I've tried zero RB in mock drafts. I've never actually tried it on a team, you know, for a team. Yeah. And I just never seem to like my team after I do zero RB. Uh, even yeah. even if I end up with like a Kelsey and uh, you know and and a Julio Jones right off the bat, but uh, mm. just never seemed to like. I, you know, I guess we're so running back trained. Yeah, yeah. I, the only I'd say the, the the time that sticks out in my mind where it did work was actually the first year in our league because I we went out and we went and got three wide receivers and then we went and I think and got a quarterback 
and this was Todd, I think Todd Gurley's rookie year. And I knew about Todd uh, Gurley. I said, ah, this guy's going to miss the first six weeks. Uh, so we were able to grab him like the fifth or sixth round. And then we were also able to grab at that point, uh, Devonta Freeman, who was in his second year with the Falcons, knowing that that was kind of a job that was up for, for bid. And he wasn't even the starter at the time, but we got him in like the sixth or seventh round. So we had this stacked lineup where you, our first four picks were, you know, tight end, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver. So we had all those starting spots. And then we ended up with, come midseason, we had Gurley and Freeman who were putting up like two touchdowns a week. It was awesome. But that's, a, that's one of the, the only notable times, I'd have to admit, yeah. Well, I, I remember that year, and I do remember looking at your team at the end of the year and being like, um, "Did this? Did these guys draft different? You know, <laughs> like, were, did were, did they draft five in a row, and and nobody else got to pick anything?" So, yeah, that was that. Uh, who who invited I, this guy? <laughs> yeah, who got this guy in the league? <laughs> right. So, well, since uh, you know, so uh, this is great. So, you know, having that mentality, let's kind of uh, go into you know some of the prominent rookies uh, that mm-hmm. were drafted. Uh, now two now three months ago uh crazy to think that even though things start as things are going but um joe burrow uh you know you i know you got a a lot of chance to look at him and i know um, i know being a clemson grad i know that last game wasn't that fun but uh what were what what are some of the things that you the, the that in your scouting that really stuck out yeah it's uh i mean joe joe is an incredible um prospect both on and off the field I think one of and I know this won't matter for fantasy football purposes but just from a scouting point of view I just want to make sure I say like from a leadership and intangible standpoint Joe Burrow I I don't know if I could can recall somebody who has hit every single note and seems to do it perfectly from day one uh from the way he handled the draft to what he's done and said after the fact uh about the community within Cincinnati the fact that he's from that area it's it's he's got an incredible story i just love the kid um from the now on the football side of things now you brought up that game against clemson um he torched defenses last year and he torched good defenses that game uh that national championship game clemson really when you look at it did not play uh as bad a game on defense as the score might suggest but what you saw is Joe Burrow and some really, really talented wide receivers, guys like Justin Jefferson and guys like Jamar Chase, who might be like the number one overall pick come next year. Um, those guys made plays. He made perfect deep ball throws to those guys in stride, over the shoulder, couldn't have, uh, even though there was a guy on the hip of his receiver, he dropped in the bucket and he scored long touchdowns. It's something that Joe Burrow did really, really well last year. One of the other things that I really like about Joe is his athleticism from within the pocket and when things sort of start to break down. And he's not athletic in a Cam Newton sense or a Deshaun Watson sense, a guy that you're going to like run an option with and have him tuck the ball away and take and carry it five, 10 times a game. But the kind of guy who can, uh, you know, get a few yards back, who can scramble, who can extend the play, who can get out of bounds. You watch his tape against uh, Alabama, for example, in that game, he, he kept them going and by being able to extend plays with his feet uh, and either be able to find a receiver or be able to go pick up a few yards and set up his team for success. So I really like that, that leg uh, portion of Joe Burrow's game. I guess the third thing that I would say about Joe is, is the arm strength is definitely there. Uh, there's been guys over the past couple of years who have come into the league or have 
you know, going into the draft, you, you maybe question that a little bit. You maybe saw some fluttering passes here or there. But Joe, when you look at the tape and you turn it on, he's able to hit every single throw, whether it's the deep out, whether it is some of the short dink and dunk passes. He also seems to be taking what the defense gives him, which is a hard thing to kind of read off of reading tape when we're not in the, the rooms, we're not in the, know the, what the plays that's being called, what his first read, what his second read is. But he seems to find the open guy, which I, I also think yet you can look back at that uh, national championship game. Um, uh, Thaddeus Moss, the tight end for LSU, is a uh, was an undrafted tight end who had probably his best game of the year and that don't think that was a mistake. That was because that was the guy that Clemson was okay if they beat if he beat them. They were worried about the other three or four people on the field that could beat them. The other and first he round was the picks. Guy that was open. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so he found him and he made and he made those plays. And so um I, I yeah, as far as I've been doing this, as long as I've been doing this, um, I've normally had some bad things to say about every first round quarterback or some some watchouts. Um, I think Joe, as far as a, a pocket style passer um, and a professional uh, style pa- pro style uh, passer, I think he's just about as good as you've seen come out in the last uh, five to 10 years. Wow. I mean, and considering that like someone like Andrew Luck uh, had that near perfect rating, I think what he came out like six, seven years ago, and hard, hard to think he's already out of the league. But when, when you look at him and, and I th- you brought up a great point about he, he torched great defenses. Alabama's got, got NFL, NFL players. Clemson's got NFL players. I mean, o- Oklahoma's got some, some NFL players that, that, that were on its defense. And he had some legendary games against the, those people. And he played with NFL talent. Uh, when you look at Cincinnati, and obviously T. Higgins could, mm-hmm. has a lot of similarities to, uh, to Justin Jefferson, and people have talked about him, them possibly growing together. Mm-hmm. A.J. Green is someone who's um, and it, and it, uh, has been an incredible talent when healthy. When you look at that transition, uh, what are you? What, is there is there excitement? Any? I for me, the only trepidation with him is the offensive line. Mm-hmm. wasn't wasn't that great last year and they didn't really add to yeah. it either other than having a guy who was hurt last year and is coming back and he was a first round right. pick right yeah i mean uh that would that's that's the off what you just said is often the overlooked part of the cincinnati story last year was the fact that they drafted his offensive line in the first round he i don't think he even made it to training or made it a training camp because he got hurt so early um protecting the quarterback is what it's all about yeah. giving him time you know making sure that he is in a position to succeed um, he does have some great weapons. I'm excited to see him and T Higgins working together. Again, we just, I just talked about the deep balls that he can throw We're talking about a guy who has excelled in being able to make those plays and go up and, and, and cat, make those catches that are so popular in the NFL right now over defenders. Um, you, you know, you are a little concerned about in saying like, Hey, like, is there enough up that offensive line? Um, but he also has Tyler Boyd, who's had a, yeah. been a solid contributor for that team for years. He is getting A.J. Green back. And, hey, even if he's not the A.J. Green of old, the, the, the leadership, the veterancy that comes with that, the ability that they're, they're going to have to – any defensive coordinator is going to have to account for A.J. Green. You can't just leave that. If, if they don't, Joe's going to make them pay. And I think Joe's the kind of quarterback who will know those matchups and will know when he's going to be able to take that shot. 
And then also you have Joe Mixon in the back who, um, while I wouldn't say he's my, my big Joe Mixon fan, uh, he was productive last year. He was a bust for like the first, I think, 12 weeks of the season. I think he finished pretty darn strong. But he's a, a lot of people are talking him. I saw him maybe projected top 10 pick this year, uh, first round pick. Um, so they've got some talent. They've, they've, he's got some weapons. I think he's in a better position than some of the quarterbacks that have come out as of late. I mean, like, for example, you, uh, Kyler Murray um, had a lot of young wide receiver talent uh, in that first year, but he had an aging Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, he, had a, he had David Johnson in the backfield. Actually, not that bad of a comparison now that I'm kind of digging into it deeper. Uh, but I would say Joe's probably in a slightly better situation in Cincinnati than um, than Kyler was last year. And he doesn't have to be in the NFC West against the, the 49ers, the Rams, and the Seahawks defenses. <laughs> well, I, and the, though I know Pittsburgh and Baltimore are, gonna, are, are salivating uh, and taking their yeah. ch- taking their licks at him. Um, well, let's go let's go down south from uh, from there. Tua, the number five pick. Mm. What I mean, so many people were talking about tank for Tua, tank for Tua. He ended up with the Dolphins at number five. What, what, you know, there was so much hype around him. Yeah. Um, so obviously, the big concern with Tua is, is injury, right? Right. Is like, will is is this going to be a thing with him? Is he going to? Is this going to be one of those cases, almost like Drew Brees when he got hurt, where you know people people passed on him and then he made him pay later. Um, I think Tua is, is a, is a very special quarterback. Um, he, what I saw when I watched Tua was, was two things. I saw some really effective reads on, uh, from like the midfield, but I was mostly impressed. And the thing that I love the most about Tua was his red zone game. Um, so when they got down there, his ability to place the ball on a fade or to hit that front pylon throw that again, that's super popular in the NFL is get that, beat that man to that pylon, reach out, out of bounds, tip, uh, toe tap, touchdown. Um, I think that is what he does the best. I think he does that better than anyone in the draft class. Um, now, as far as fantasy football purposes, is this someone you're going to draft? I don't think so because if I'm personally, if I'm the Miami I don't think I want him out there. I don't think there's, it's worth the risk knowing that there's, there's no chance for them to compete this year for a playoff spot. Um, I think they're going to be a much improved team. I don't think it's worth risking years 2021, 2022 on a less likely chance in 2020. So I don't know if Tua brings you value from a fantasy standpoint this year. That would be my only knock on him uh, from as part of, you know, this conversation. Um, how about, Dynast- how about Dynasty? Dyna- Dynasty, um, I'm going to have to talk out of both sides of my mouth a little bit here because I passed on him um, this year, the opportunity to draft him because I was really excited about another player, which we'll get to in a little bit. But I think in Dynasty, too, is a, a kind of guy you want. Uh, I, they, they were and, – and, and there's been there's – been, you looking back through the history of the NFL and the draft, when, what the position that Miami was in this year – with as many picks as they had, um, as much, honestly, they have a pretty talented defense already. When you look at some of the guys like Xavier Howard and, and some of the guys they drafted um, in, in last year's draft, they're in a position to be set up to compete for a while. And they've got guys like Devontae Parker who busted through last year mm-hmm. and finally had that breakout season. Um, they've got guys like, um, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forget his name, but he, I think it was Preston Williams, I think, who got hurt 
midway through the season, but was looking almost like a number one wide receiver for the few games right before then. Um, and then you got guys like Mike Gusecki at tight end. You got, Ooh, you got big young fan. talent everywhere. I'm a big yeah. fan of Gusecki. Absolutely. A very fast guy. And so like when you start to maybe do some of those spread out concepts that they were running at, at Alabama and you have all that speed and you have so many weapons, I think he can be really effective. Um, I just think it's probably more of a 2021 opportunity for him. Yeah, especially when they uh, grab the way dra- uh, running backs have been getting picked in the second round. You know, they'll I mean, let's say they pick high in the second round and they end up with your boy Travis Etienne next year. So then all of a sudden they're really scary. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, and so yeah, to your, to that point, they had those all those top picks the first couple of rounds. But any of those guys, like so easy to find running backs, easy you know the fourth, fifth round that are making impact in year one. Oh, that's awesome. Well, you know what? Let's talk about running backs now. Um, I mean, there's still several out there. There are so many. And, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, was he the guy that you would have thought was going to go first among all the running backs? Going into the draft, I did – no, I did not expect that. I expected um, – well, well, I'll say that I, I did not expect him to go first um, out of the running backs that were available – uh, I didn't think an NFL team would, would pass on Jonathan Taylor and take Elair first. That said, Elair was the top rated guy on my board uh, from a running back position. You go back and you look at his tape. He almost always made the first guy miss. He caught tons of balls out of the backfield. And so for him to be in Kansas City is a dream scenario. Not only is he in an awesome offense, but that offense is going to pass the ball and he's going to be able to do what Andy Reid loves best, which is just give the running back – ball out of the backfield I don't I didn't have the opportunity but I would say go look at what Brian Westbrook did with the Eagles and maybe the first couple years that he was around and started working in that offense that would probably be a good comparable for Clyde Edwards Elair in this in this uh in this offense um but he was he is he's compact he's got burst um, he, he, like I said, he's got, he made the first guy miss and he didn't, what was most impressive about that is for a guy, his size, who's a kind of a stocky kind of bowling ball type. Um, he wasn't running through guys. He was, he was shifty. He's got moves. Mm-hmm. And so you get really excited again when, when they can open up some of those holes and they have to account for Tyree kill going down one sideline, Nicole Hardman going down one sideline and you got the defense now 30 yards back. And they can't put seven, eight guys in the box and they're going to face like nickel and dime defenses and things like that. You hand the ball to Elair. I think he's just going to, I think he's going to feast. I think if there's anybody in this, uh, in this draft class who is uh, out of the running backs, who is going to perform at a potential, you know, first or second round pick level, I think it's going to be Elair. Yeah, he's, you know, you, you look at him and, I mean, you, you look at a Brian Westbrook, <coughs> excuse me, and you see uh, someone like uh, Brian Westbrook in his prime years and Kareem Hunt early on. He's a different runner than, than Hunt. He's not, not as tall, but, God, he's just uh, – he's so tempting. I mean, I, I really thought that uh, people wouldn't go so crazy for him in mock drafts, but, yeah, he's going in the second round. And, and it's like, not, and, and it is consistent that he's going, the, that yeah. he's going in the second round. Do you buy any of the, any of the coach speak that's out there about uh, Damian Williams still stealing some carries? 
those are always hard to read. Yeah. I, I would say on, on this one, I, I, I think that's a smoke screen, if anything, I th- or, or, or political play to say, hey, listen, this guy, is, I mean, listen, he, he did play pretty well at times last year for them. Uh, I'm pretty sure he had the, the long run that kind of bottled up uh, one of their playoff games. Um, he's a solid player, and I liked him when he was uh, even back when, with Miami coming out of Oklahoma, guy that had a lot of kind of like off-the-field issues that maybe kind of, you know, stunted his stock a little bit. But when you, as a coach, when you have a guy like Hilaire in the backfield, to your point like about Hunt, like we saw what Hunt did when you got a talent like that people are going to, he's going to get opportunities and I expect Elair to do something with those opportunities. So I think over time, maybe at the beginning of the year, it'll be kind of this timeshare for the first three, four weeks, something like that. But if Elair gets his opportunities and I think he'll cash in on those opportunities or be productive, you can't not give him the ball. You're going to start giving him, and he's your future. That's the reason you spent a first round pick on him. No, that's, that's awesome. Uh, definitely. Now uh, the next, our next guy, went to the Lions, which I think is a very interesting landing spot. DeAndre Swift, you know, went you know, early second round. Uh, so much draft, so much, you know, hype around him. He's one of the better, you know, one of the better players at Georgia. You know, what were some of the things, what were some of the things that you really liked about him? Yeah, you know, DeAndre had a uh, a really interesting game tape and it was, it was hard to put a, put a grade on him. I ended up, he ended up, getting uh, the third overall grade. I had Jonathan Taylor a little bit ahead of DeAndre Swift, but I think what, what Swift brings to the table is the pass catching ability. Um, so, and I think that in, um, in Detroit um, with, you know, Kenny Galladay, they have like good weapons, but I do could, I do see a, a potential where they're going to want to uh, use him as kind of a gadget guy, somebody who catches a lot of passes. I don't think it's out of the question to see him catch 40, 50 balls next year. Uh, provided he's healthy but what I saw Swift really excel at and 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 I want to go back and look at the Detroit Lions offense and the way that they the formations they ran out of and the way that they like to run the ball but for me he's going to be best as a slasher who attacks off tackle Um, off tackle or in that uh, that gap right on the left uh, uh, right on the inside of the tackle because it seemed like when he could get outside on those edges he really had that ability to, to plant a foot in the ground and then go, you know, upfield. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't, what I didn't see is that between the tackles, like between the guards, I guess like a gap, B gap sort of stuff. Um, I guess a gap more. So I didn't see a lot of those runs in Georgia, at Georgia that were really effective. What I saw is when he got into open field, when he got into space or when he was able to get on the outside kind of at the hash marks, that's where I saw the really impressive runs, and that's where you saw like the speed and burst take over. And and looking at his and and one of the things that I liked, uh, you know, and looking at tape on him, I always I, I saw some cuts that reminded me of Terrell Davis back mm. in the day, and, and and that that were those were some of the things that really liked me. I mean, I'm not going to put that on him. He's I mean, Terrell Davis is a Hall of Famer, but right, definitely right. the the you know you mentioned putting the foot in the ground and just having that decisiveness and hitting you know hitting an open spot it, that was very intriguing to me, and that's why I. I, I keep thinking, I mean, I know they're saying all the, all, all the right things about it being competition or one and one a with carry on Johnson. But honestly, I, I, I look at him and 
I mean, do you look at him as someone who's going to take the job outright at some point this season? I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's a hard one to say because you saw carry on flash in his mm-hmm. rookie year, right? I think it was like a Monday or Sunday night football game where he was, uh, you know, he had a, like, there's a spin move. Like, I feel like he was on the sideline and there's a spin move that he had that everyone was like, oh my God, this guy's great. <laughs> uh, I was never a big carry on Johnson fan coming out of college. I looked he seemed like a guy who put up great stats who kind of was the guy who would get like that four or five yard run, but wasn't the, the explosive player that I would look for. Um, I will say one of my notes here that I have from my ratings on Swift is he didn't seem to be asked to, or he didn't seem to block particularly well, which we all know you have to do in the NFL yeah. if you're going to be a running back. And so that to me makes me feel like it might end up being like a, you know, 45%, 50% snap share for Swift, and then maybe like, you know, a 45, 50, and then maybe you have some of the other guys, the, the true third down guys kind of sprinkled in there. I would say Swift over carry on in a third down role all day. So yeah. if he does manage to take that role in this offense that I would expect to be pass heavy with Matt Stafford, um, that could again be a pretty nice role again. 56, I'm thinking like 40, 50 balls is, is within range for as a rookie year. Uh, but I don't, I don't know if, um, I don't know if carry on's just gonna disappear this year. The only, the only way, and I just because he hasn't been able to stay healthy, and right. I went, I, I in in a past uh, episode, uh, one of my one of my primos and I, we just kind of went back and forth. And I just and he said, in in a world where Kerryon Johnson plays sixteen games, do you do you, do you see him keeping the job or Swift taking the job? And I said, I can't see a world where Kerryon Johnson plays sixteen games. I I really just couldn't do it. And that's yeah. why, that's why I'm kind of that's where I think he's where Swift is going to be a value pick, like maybe eight games into the season. Yeah. So that's that that's the reason why uh, it kind of wor- worries worries me yeah. about that. But but to and and bring it back to fantasy to your point, like the uh, uh, the the opportunity for Swift seems to be there from the onset. Uh, it seems to be a guy like if you're going to go and draft, you know, a lot of these rookies uh, may or most most often are, are really not super productive fantasy assets, right? Uh, but the the opportunity with Swift in like a PPR kind of league, I think makes him very draftable and to the point, like going back to a, sort of our conversation on zero RB, a lot of the times with that, you want to take the guy who's one injury away from a full-time job. Right. Yep. And so that's what Swift is. And to your point, carry on doesn't have that track record. So if you can grab Swift, you know, in those, some of those mid to later rounds, he could, uh, he could be really a great value pick. Well, our, our next guy, Jonathan Taylor, who you mentioned you had uh, rated, rated a little higher in your own personal rankings, mm-hmm. uh, going to the Colts, uh, another timeshare with Marlon Mack. What are, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, uh, you know, Jonathan was a guy I was really excited about coming out of bowl season and, and or the, the NCAA postseason. Um, you watched him play in the Ohio State game, and that's if, – if there was a game where – I would go back and, and, and rewatch and, and to get a sense of who a player is. It would be that game. That was a game where they Wisconsin is is traditionally a defensive running team. They are outgunned by Ohio State, and here Jonathan Taylor kept them in that game as long as he could because he was busting out 40, 50 yard runs like right before halftime, just playing with a lot of heart. Um, I see a guy who's got really great vision 
who's going to know like where the hole is going to open and has the patience to wait for it and then the power to go through. Um, he, he does seem to break that first tackle very often. I was surprised and honestly a little disappointed to see him go to the Colts because of how effective Marlon Mack has been. And I think yeah. Marlon Mack's been a really, you know, really great player for them and a great find two or three years ago when he came out. Um, I would have loved to see him in Miami where you could have been like, this guy's going to get 150 carries. Like, let's, let's see what he can do. Um, but you know, the, what I will caveat all that by saying and kind of the, or I guess go to the other side is Indianapolis is a great offense. They've had, they've been held back by the fact that they don't have Andrew Luck, but Frank, I believe Frank Reich is up there um, with the Andy Reeds of the world when it comes to offensive genius. Yeah. Uh, I do not, I, I attribute Philadelphia's drop off in, in production from their Super Bowl run to Frank Reich leaving, not because of the talent that they've had on the team. I think Frank Reich, you think you've seen the impact he's had on Indianapolis ever since he went over and took that job. And so I do believe that coach speak when it comes to this is a two-headed monster, we're going to go, we're going to have Mac, and then we're going to also be able to have um, the one-two punch with, with Taylor. So I could see Taylor being an effective guy, a guy who could potentially pick up a lot of touchdowns for you, uh, kind of going back to his, you know, to, to Swift a little bit. If I had to pick one of the two from a fancy perspective, it would probably be Taylor um, because he's on a better offense. And I don't know how Detroit's going to do this year. If they have a really bad year, they might just tank and they might just not be, not, might not be an effective team. So uh, I think Taylor's in a, in a weird position. Um, again, like you said about carry on Mac has had, his lingering injury issues. It seems like there's always been a couple games each year where he's right. not been there. Um, so he'll, he might get some opportunities, but um, you know, I think he's a, he's going to be a really good running back. In there. The one thing, the one thing I really like about the set, the setup for him in with the Colts is pro football focus just ranked their offensive line. Number one in the entire NFL. So yeah. and that, I mean, we remember Todd Gurley in 2016, how he just couldn't, he, he couldn't find air. And then the next year he's, you know, he's, he's getting MVP votes because they upgraded their line. So that to me, I, I look at the situation. I'm like, even if it's a timeshare, uh, I, I think they're, they're, they both running backs are going to have value. The interesting part is Taylor is it's the new shiny toy. He's right. going Fairly, he's going like four rounds ahead of Marlon Mack in in, uh, in mock drafts right now, which wow. is very. It's again, I think it's just the new shiny toy. Yeah, and uh, hmm. so it's 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 very interesting how how that's kind of working out. I uh, he surprised me. He kind of has you know that that uh, Wisconsin running back not 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 always expected to be the fastest guy, but he was the fastest. He had the fastest uh, 40 time at the combine. So, uh, I mean, just, he, he's a great prospect. I hope he, uh, I, I think at the very least, cause I think Marlon Mack is a, is a free agent after this season. So I, I think what's going to happen is maybe yeah. the job will be his, but um, it, it, it could be where both of them have uh, really, you know, both, both have good value this year. Right. And just to add to that, um, if, you know, Max up as a free agent at, at the end of the year, you know that this coaching staff's going to want to see what they have in Taylor. Oh, uh, yeah. And mm -hmm. know if they have to bring in a veteran or something. So you know he's going to get those opportunities. The only thing I'll add on Taylor before we, before we move on is, um, you know, Wisconsin 
ineffective offense passing the ball a lot of the time, the way that their system is run and the way that they like to play offense, they don't really ask their, their backs to do all that much catching the ball out of the backfield. But I did see Taylor have flash that when, when asked to do that. And so I think in an offense, NFL offense that does ask that out of the running back, you're going to maybe see increased value from there, uh, from that part of his game. And you look at the history of Wisconsin running backs, it actually there's a really good track record. Guys like James White, guys like Melvin Gordon, who have proven and actually had most of their value, I would say, coming out of uh, good situations like that. And by the way, Phillip Rivers were – was uh, was playing with Melvin Gordon for a little while, and he loves to dump the ball off to his back. So, not a bad pickup. No, that that is a good one. That is a good one. Well, uh, next one is uh, the team is near and dear to both our hearts, um, and we definitely had, uh, after the draft, you and I had a, a couple, several text exchanges about about him. Cam Akers, as a prospect, what what were the things that you were before we get into the training camp outlook? Oh man, I, this is and I know we we we've had a, maybe a little disagreement or, or you know saw this one differently. I, I Cam was a very hard prospect, and this is part of what's what makes what evaluating players in college very difficult is because sometimes great players are on bad teams, and sometimes that if it depending on the position, depending on the situation, it can make a player look worse than they actually are. I think Cam Akers, are, Cam Akers is for sure one of those prospects where Florida State was abysmal last year. Um, their line was, was not good. You go back and watch the tape, and he well, did not have opportunities. Things were like the guard or the center is getting pushed back, and it's cutting off the route to the hole and things like that. But – the one thing that I'm concerned about when I look at Cam Akers' game was, uh, and I said this to you over text, was that it seemed that he was not – he was going down at first contact a lot mm, in yes. college football in the ACC, which is, uh, despite being an ACC homer, um, not the not the stingiest of defenses in the world. And so I'm, I'm concerned by that piece of it. He does have some great speed. He does have a – he has a good size profile. Um, you know, catching the ball out of the backfield, he's definitely going to have opportunities this year. They talked up that running back by committee approach a lot. I think, I think what's the likely outcome is that you'll see him be maybe Daryl Henderson plus from last year where he – you know, Daryl Henderson didn't really get a lot of opportunities to later in the year. He flashed a couple times but really – I think he might have ended up with less than 50 touches at the end of the year. Um, I think that he, Cam will get more opportunities out of the gate, but I do think that this is Daryl Henderson's job to lose for the lead. Um, and so I'd be my, – my concern with potentially drafting Cam Akers is that he, he just might not get that look. He, I think he might be more of a long-term play for the Rams. Someone that they said, let's bring this guy in, let's coach him up, let's, let's maybe get a little more bulk on him, have him finish runs a little more aggressively – um, and then he'll be the, the rock star that we, we, we drafted him to be. So when you look at him, and obviously, you know, we were talking about the running back by committee, um, looking at him at Daryl Henderson, they, they, and Daryl Henderson's a third round pick. So that, that's nothing to sneeze at either. You don't give up on that right. that quickly. Right. When, uh, when you look at the, these two guys, I really look at it coming down to a competition between the two of them for, and, mm -hmm. Do you think that at some point um, they're going to they're, they're gonna give the ball to, you know, they're going to decide one of them gets the ball to himself? 
I don't, I don't, I just, I, cause I don't think that Daryl, um, I think even if he's producing, I don't think he's the kind of guy that in today's NFL, you want touching the ball 25 times a game. Um, I think he's the kind of guy that you want touching like 15, then upper, upper teens on a good game when he's, when he's feeling it, when he's being productive mm-hmm. and, 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 uh, and on a bad game, I think that they will be, they'll be quick to, to go to, the other the other side of it i think um mcveigh will will be committed to to the whatever's most effective i don't think you give up a guy like Gurley um without being willing to be uh and then draft a guy like cam without being willing to kind of go with the hot hands which is you know all of our, our us fantasy managers worst nightmare right which is like <laughs> this guy had 100 yards and two touchdowns last week but he might only get four carries next week because he doesn't run these uh, these running plays as well right. and they that's how they want to attack this defense so this is a scary situation and honestly if I for my redraft leagues one I'm probably staying away from um, and, and we've also you you mentioned uh, smartly the uh, the uh, the Indianapolis offensive line we we're talking about Taylor you and I have gone you know shared our concerns about oh. you know, the aging state of the LA Rams offensive line and I think it's not it's not set in stone it's not a, it's not a foregone conclusion but they have not invested a lot there and rob havenstein i think is pushing 38 or 39 or not rob not rob havenstein uh left tackle the other the other, oh. the other side of it um whitworth whitworth thank you um you know he's pushing it and I, who knows if he can continue to play at a, at a high level um so i don't know but what, how do you feel about cam makers I, I mean you've watched the tape you've you've seen this team you've seen the way they like to run offense I, I, the thing I think with him, uh, and I, th- I think it's more McVeigh. I think at some point he's gonna decide. He, he's gonna give somebody the opportunity to take the take the lead role. What I what I keep going back to with with the Rams backfield is that in 2018 when when Gurley's knee was acting up, they they brought in C.J. Anderson off the street. And on a Tuesday and the next, you know, on that Sunday, he's going for 150 yards and two touchdowns. And it was just like, so I kind of get this feeling that if in the McVay offense, when the line is, is, is upgraded the way it was at that point. And I think, I don't know if they'll get to that point, but I think they're going to be better this year than they were. Yeah. And, and I think it's the bigger guy that's going to, that, that's going to come out ahead. And I think it's, I think that bigger guy is going to be acres, but I, I think this could, this has the makings of being a nightmare scenario for about eight weeks. And then if you drafted acres really high, then it's kind of like, Ooh, you know, you, you might, you might, you might not get the benefit of him producing in weeks 14, 15 and 16. So that, right. That's the thing that I'm scared of with him. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really fair a fair analysis and just to just to put a number on it, um, kind of where I had him ranked out of um, out of all the the running backs that I looked at this year, I had Cam Anchor. I I graded him number thirteen. Oh I was, wow! I was surprised. I was surprised he went that high. To be honest. Wow. Well, I know that I, I I know that you when we were going back and forth, the next guy you wanted to see the Rams take him instead, uh, J.K. Dobbins. Who, who had yeah. some big games, he had some big games at Ohio State. He did. And, and that was a guy, again, who, who flashed in the, in the kind of the end of the year. And you saw him perform in some really big games. Uh, to be honest, it's, and he's a guy that 
I think is, is very lucky to be where he is today because I think that obviously the Ravens are a killer offense, but the way that they run that offense, um, the way that they cycle in backs, uh, the way that they've done that over the past couple of years, and then the way that running with um, behind Lamar Jackson where the option is always a threat, where he can turn, show the ball, and either hold it or, or, or hand it off, I think Dobbins is going to flourish in that kind of offense. I don't know how well he would do in uh, put like in a put your hand in the ground kind of sense. We're gonna you know we're gonna line you up in the eye or single back, and we're going to hand you the ball again in that A B gap kind of thing. Um, Dobbins to me is like guy who's got he he almost reminds me he, he's got the a balance element to him that uh, reminded me of in, in in the Clemson postseason game. You saw him make some runs where he was. Uh, able to maintain his balance remind me a lot of Kareem Hunt in that in, in his rookie season a guy who's you know got a compact frame but was able to continue moving forward um, but it, a guy that does a lot of things pretty well I think he's more of a jack of all trades master of none so I'm I'm actually very curious to watch Dobbins this year um, is he going again another another split running back situation with Ingram hey, oh. Who, what happened? I loved Ingram last. I love Ingram. I think he's a fantastic running back, and I've drafted him a number of times in our league. And I, I, it's hard for me to let him go as as being the primary ball carrier in Baltimore. And he doesn't look like he's getting old. I mean, he's no. he's, age, he's age thirty, which a lot of people expect that to be the the year that guy that running backs start to. I mean, by that point, a lot of people look at running backs as being over the hill, right. but he ran just as violently as energetically and, and just, and efficiently. He was over five yards a carry last year and, yeah. and got 15 TDs. So it's kind of like, you don't know. I, I think, I don't know if he's going to take carries away from Ingram. I think he will take some carries away from Gus Edwards, who yeah. uh, was kind of like that, that, that guy to kind of seal the game out. So I think, I think he'll kind of be, a little bit of like what Alexander Madison was last year, who actually yeah. had some games that were really good in garbage time. Cause mm-hmm. I, I still think, I still think Baltimore is going to be uh, an excellent team. Excellent. Absolutely. Excellent team. So absolutely. I, I, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be, he, he is, he's a guy to stash too, because uh, he is a guy we're stashing, I think just because of the fact that he's not uh, that, that, Ingram is a little bit older and the fact that everything around the Ravens is taught, you know, is really good. You know, Absolutely. It, so that's why I'm like, I'm like, okay, you know what? Man, he's worth a shot. He's worth a shot in like the seventh, eighth round, which is, I think that's where he's going right now. So I, yeah. I, I like him a lot. Um, and you'll probably see for all the listeners out there. I mean, you'll probably see, some people reach on Dobbins cause they they're that excited mm-hmm. about him and they're excited about that offense. But I, I would, I would say that the range that you just said is, is probably the upper end of where I would, I would want to take him. just again, knowing the situation and you look back at the, the snap counts for, and the way that, that Baltimore likes to run their, their offense, even Ingram wasn't getting 20 carries a game very often. It was, you know, he was, he was making his production based off the touchdowns and the actual efficiency but he wasn't a guy that was going to get um, tons of looks and he definitely wasn't catching the ball out of the backfield a whole lot. I'll tell you that. So uh, Dobbins, I think is a guy that will get probably be overdrafted this year because of the excitement, because of the shiny new toy syndrome that you talked about. Mm -hmm. But um, 
I think if you're, if you're, unless you're really, really high on him, I would say you should be comfortable letting him, uh, letting him go to another team. Yeah, I I think so. I think so. We got, we got two more running backs to talk about. Uh, A lot of people got surprised that AJ Dillon uh, went in the second round. Uh, Where did, where to the, to the Packers who had Aaron Jones? What, uh, where, where did you see him as a prospect going into the draft? Definitely a big guy. Yeah, I mean, his size is his most remarkable feature. I mean, uh, only guy that I had uh, rated as high as high as far as like prototypical size. Um, you know, he, he, you know, but with that size comes like a little bit of like uh, maybe uh, the fridge kind of aspect of it. You know, not going to like <laughs> shake anyone, break any ankles, but you know, he was effective and, uh, you know, he, he showed, showed some vision, you know, his, his ability to catch out of the backfield. I saw him drop a lot of balls, which is a little concerning. Um, I don't think he'll be asked to do that in, in, in green Bay, but again, another situation, and, and I'm starting to notice the theme here the very strange, uh, draft tactics that seemingly, seemingly the whole NFL is in on because AJ Dillon is, uh, you know, is, is, playing second fiddle to Aaron Jones, who just had his best year uh, out of all of his years. Everyone kept saying for years, give the ball to Jones, give the ball to Jones, give the ball to Jones. They finally do it. He does like scores like 14, 15 touchdowns, something ridiculous like that. And then they go out and draft another six foot, six foot, 250 pound running back. Um, Now, as I'm, as I was just saying the trend piece, so food for thought in a COVID season, do these guys become more valuable on the risk that somebody's out on any given week for, for testing positive? That is so true. And, and, you know, depth is going to be such, is going to be something that's really, really tested this year. And, and so that, that's the thing, I guess you can't be too careful with your running back room. You can't be too careful. Yeah. I think, I think the teams that, aren't careful with their quarterback could be, you know, could, if you don't have a good backup, you could, you could have a, a scary moment. So yeah. that's, that's the one thing I hope not. I mean, I've seen, I, I saw an article on uh, by Peter King where he talked about, he, he kind of detailed the protocols that the Minnesota Vikings are, are doing. And it just looks like you're going into a lab. So where everything is just so pristine, but it's like, it, I don't think you're worried about people getting it in there. You're people, you're worried about guys once they step outside and right. You know, do they bring it back inside? So that's, uh, that, that one's going to be, uh, that one's going to be tested a lot. So yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think with everything, you know, especially when we have our draft, uh, at the end of August, we're going to be drafting with our fingers crossed yeah. <laughs> the whole time. Yeah. It's going to be fingers crossed emoji the whole time. <laughs> yeah. And, and normally it's that if you draft too early, but you know, because uh, of the, the preseason games and you don't have the advantage of looking at that. The, the last thing I'll say about AJ Dillon is a guy who carried the ball a heck of a lot at BC. And sometimes there, um, there, there have been some studies and sabermetrics sort of stuff on, on carries that, and wear, uh, wear on the tires, so to speak. And so one of my concerns there would just be, you know, 318 carries last year. It's a lot of carries. It's a lot of, it's a lot of football um, in, a, in a 10 game, a 10, 12 game schedule. Um, that's, that's a lot of, that's a lot of hits. And so I don't think, I don't think he's young enough that you don't have to worry about it today. Um, but it, uh, you know, with a physical bruising style like that, it is something that, you know, 
he is going to rack up a lot quicker than others. Yeah, that one's that that's definitely a concern. Uh, I was looking at that. I was thinking the same thing about Jonathan Taylor because I think he had 300 carries multiple seasons at, at Wisconsin. So mm -hmm. yeah, uh, of course. Of course, these are big guys that are given the punishment just as much, and uh, so we're, 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 that one's that one's definitely. And I think when it comes down to you know Aaron Jones finally getting the ball, uh, is I, I don't necessarily think that he's going to take carries away from Aaron Jones. I mm. but I think he may take goal line carries away from him just to make it easier at the at the goal line. Even yeah. though you know Jones was really good at, at scoring touchdowns. Yeah. So. Kind of, kind of like in the what was it? I think it was John Kuhn back in the day yep. when the, in their Super Bowl years. They, yes, they, they would. He would be the fullback giving the one yard dive and all of uh, all Lambo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that definitely, definitely that one's that that one's crazy. <laughs> well, we got two more running backs to look at. Uh, you know, the Buccaneers got a lot of thought on. Uh, a, have had a lot of talk about Keyshawn Vaughn possibly coming in and taking the job from Ronald Jones. Where, where did he kind of rank on your, uh, uh, you know, coming out of Vanderbilt? Yeah. So actually uh, Vaughn was my, my fifth ranked running back overall, just, just for the listeners. Uh, Dylan was my sixth. So Vaughn, Vaughn was up there and I saw kind of an upright running style that, that kind of reminded me a little bit of like DeMarco Murray. Um, he has, Again, a, a tough situation to evaluate at Vanderbilt, given they're they're playing the SEC. They're normally outclassed, but honestly, to see him put up the numbers that he did in that situation, again, when you're going week in and week out against some of the best quote unquote best teams in college football and the best defenses, um, I always want to look at the, the 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 big games when I'm looking at you know the history or how someone performed in college. There's a lot of times where stats can be so misleading because it's you know this guy had you know, 1800 yards or this or that, but it's like, Oh yeah. But he also had 300 yards in this game against the FCS school where, you know, the guys can't, you know, can't even keep up with him. But I saw, you know, Vaughn perform, perform at a, at a high level at Vanderbilt. And I'm, what I'm excited about for Vaughn is in, in that offense and with Tom at the helm, Tom is the kind of guy who is going to take what he, the defense gives him. And so with the defense is worried about Mike Evans and, worried about Chris Godwin and, mm. and generally trying to have probably contain that deep ball. Um, and you got a guy like Gronk now in the middle, that's going to leave a lot of opportunities for whoever that running back is either in the flat or in those angle routes, just coming out of the backfield and, and sitting right there on the, on the, the first down marker to just catch turn and, and get those extra two or three yards. And so if he can win now, here's the thing, will he win that position? I, I, that's a great question. I don't know. I don't know. And just to quickly to add to the Tom Brady, that, that dink, uh, you know, the dink and dump theory, uh, something that seems to be in Bruce Arians, uh, DNA as well. If you look back and go back to the years when he drafted David Johnson, right. He had caught like a hundred balls or whatever. So it's all matter. Can he win it? I don't know. Do you think he can, can, can Keyshawn come in and, and is Ronald Jones enough to keep him off? I don't know. I was never I was never impressed with Ronald Jones to begin with when he was at USC. Um, I, I thought uh, he looked. 
I, I, he didn't have those tree trunk legs that that you expect uh, from from a great running back. I mean, I always look at Emmett Smith and uh, Barry Sanders. Uh, you know, I that was the thing that that did not impress me about Ronald Jones. I've heard that he's added some weight in the off season. Uh, looking at the possibility, I, I I always look at guys and think that when they have their career kind of when they could see their career hanging in the balance. Sometimes some guys rise to that occasion and kind of like take hold of their career. So right. uh, that's that's why I look at it. But um, I, I think it, I, I think he, Jones will get the job at the beginning. But if he doesn't hold on to it, it's it's going to be tough. And plus, uh, there there was a lot of talk that uh, a lot of the reasons why he got benched last year was because he wasn't good in pass protection. And you mentioned it earlier, you yep. need, and you need to protect the passer. And especially when he's, you know, 43 year old Tom Brady, uh, <laughs> this year. Yeah. Uh, so, so, and a lot of the metrics show that Keyshawn Vaughn was pretty good at, pr- at protecting the passer at a, uh, at a college. So that, that's why I think that this one, uh, it, it could it could end up being a little bit of a timeshare at best for Vaughn early on, but then uh, he he could yeah, hopefully yeah. hopefully he gets a he gets a shot. Uh, of course that'll that'll tick off my. I've got a lot of family who are USC fans who aren't going to like me saying bad things about Ronald Jones. No, but you're <laughs> but you're right. You're right. I remember when he came out and I was looking and scouting these guys. Like there's a there was a couple plays that were impressive, but they were actually like kind of some deep passes and stuff. And otherwise, I I didn't see what all the hype was about. Um, going into those first two years when everyone was really hyping him up as he's going to be the guy, you're drafting him to be the guy. Um, so I think out of, out of maybe out of everyone we've talked about, Keyshawn has maybe the highest upside potential, that guy who can, you can get in the mid to late rounds, who could end up being, you know, a top 10, 15 running back for you. I think Vaughn is a pretty good candidate for that. Uh, definitely, definitely. Well, we got one last running back. Um, you know, Zach Moss got a lot of, you know, us being on the West coast, we could see him, uh, playing in the pac 10 at Utah. Uh, where did you have him ranked? I'm, I'm kind of curious where you had. Him. So he was my fourth overall back. So I had, I have, so just that I had, uh, Elair, Taylor, Swift, Moss, Vaughn, Dylan, uh, and then I get in, get into some folks that we, we haven't talked about, but uh, you know, Anthony McFarland, Joshua Kelly, DJ Dallas, and, uh, and then J.K. Dobbins, Antonio Gibson, which is a little unfair to have because he's going to be kind of that guy that, that does a little wide oh. receiver. He does a little bit of that. Um, Darrington Evans I actually liked quite a bit. And then I got Cam Akers, Eno Benjamin, and LaMichael Pirine were the, were the last guys that I got to, to time the scout. So – uh, Moss was number four. I think he landed in a great, great spot. Um, he, I think, uh, one of the coaches, I can't, I can't remember if it was, um, uh, if it was head coach or offensive coordinator, but you know, they mentioned he's going to come in and fill that Frank Gore role. And, and when you look at Moss's tape, he really does remind you of Frank Gore. He's again, he's got a stocky body. He's got burst. It's not going to be a top speed kind of guy. He might top out at that four five, four five and a half. But he's got he's got the burst. He speaking of one of the one of the only running backs I rated uh, gave him max rating on his uh, his block blocking ability for his pass oh. protection. So I'm, I'm excited to see him in that offense where he's going to get some opportunities. You saw last year Buffalo likes to give um, 
wasn't just giving it to Devin Singletary. They continue to use Frank Gore even after Singletary had kind of emerged. And listen, like we said about some of the other guys, uh, taking the guy who's one injury away from a starting job is, is usually a winning strategy. Fantasy football can often be a war of attrition. Um, I, I don't, I'm not saying that Devin Singletary is injury prone, but guys done it for one year. I'd like to see track record of three, four years before I say this guy's not an injury risk. That's true. And, and the injury was a hamstring, which can become a chronic thing. You never know with soft tissue injuries that, that I had, a, I had a lot of excitement around Singletary and which, mm. uh, and so I had to endure those weeks. And so I, I, that, that's, what's got me that plus Moss has me kind of, you know, a little bit with some trepidation about what, what's going to happen with this backfield. Right. But, but it's kind of, go ahead. No, 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 please. This backfield reminds me a lot of Baltimore. The the team reminds me a lot of Baltimore kind of like Mm -hmm. run heavy quarterback who runs the ball too is, is is definitely a threat out of the backfield. Obviously Josh Allen is great, but he's no Lamar Jackson also right. built around a uh, fantastic defense. And so I think they're going to have a lot of opportunities to run the ball. And that's going to be that. That's why I think Moss, even if it is a timeshare is still going to get somewhere around 150 carries and still, you know, have some weeks that, that really helps teams. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And going to your, your point about the, the similarity of the offenses, um, you know, Josh, bring up Josh's name too is like Josh is a guy who who they'd like to do some some different things and they're not always looking to push the ball downfield because they never at least last year they didn't have that threat they now have digs so we'll see how Mm -hmm. maybe how that evolves but they were really kind of working with what they had and so if you have two great backs and two young promising backs you know maybe they become a very run heavy team or maybe even they just get more involved in the passing game which you know in a PPR league or, or some of the which is the standard format for most these days still going to still going to show some value. So I, I like Moss. I especially like him in a, in a dynasty format um, where, where, you know, you're not banking on it all this year, but um, like there's a lot of carries up for grabs. And I think that, I think that Moss can be effective. And I, and I would say that Moss probably, I would, I would put money on Moss being the goal line guy. If they're, yeah. if they have, if they end up having a goal line guy, I think Moss is it over Singletary. And truth be told, it might be Moss, Josh Allen, and Singletary, who are uh, then yeah, Singletary in that order for for goal line carries. Because I think I think uh, Allen got I think he got eight or nine uh, uh, touchdowns last year. So he's I, I keep looking at him as kind of like another Cam Newton type. So yeah. that one's that one's an exciting. He's an I think Buffalo is an exciting team. Definitely. I think they're, they're in a really interesting position and they, I think, uh, I really, I really think that they've got their coaching situation right. Finally, after years of, of, of kind of cycling through, I think they, they've got their defense, they've found their identity. And so I'm excited to see what they do this year, especially now that the, uh, you know, Tom and the Patriots have been sort of dismantled, um, from there, from there. Bueno, that's it for the special edition of the Familia FFB podcast. Special thanks to our buen amigo, Jordan Bohink. Great insight on rookie running backs and quarterbacks who are going to be impacting your fantasy drafts this year and how they could be making a difference in your leagues. Make sure to follow Jordan at Jordan B Trades on Twitter 
And uh, special thanks also to Anchor.fm for being our hosting network and for making sure our independent podcast gets out into our Familia community. Please subscribe and leave us a review at Spotify, Apple, Google, and any other podcast platforms. Remember to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Familia FFB as well as on our Familia FFB Facebook page. Gracias, everybody, and remember, todos somos familia.